This morning, I brought two quarters and a peanut (laughs) with me because I'm going to talk about these today. I want to start in Matthew 6, 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Money often comes between men and God. And why I brought these quarters is because if you hold a coin close enough to your face, you can't see what's behind it. If you hold two, one over each eye, you can't see anything at all. There could be mountains behind that coin. There could be warm spring days. I know you don't believe it, all right? (laughs) But I think it might be coming. But it is hindering your vision. You may be able to even see around it in a blurry way. You might even be able to see part of something. But if you hold this up to your eye in front of a picture, it will block out a piece or a portion of that picture. It doesn't take large quantities of money to come between us and God. Just a little placed in the wrong position. And it will effectively obscure your view. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, you cannot serve both money and God. So one of the core values uh, here at Erie First is radical generosity. And we believe that the church and the people of the church are called to this lifestyle of radical generosity And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about stewardship and generosity. We're going to talk about what the scripture says about our resources and about our wealth. And if you have a lot to steward or just a little, my prayer this week, this sermon series, is that it would help you put that wealth in the right position. Whether it's a lot or a little, that you'd be able to put it in the right position so that it's not obscuring or blocking your spiritual view. So the first way um, to make sure that your wealth is in the right position is this. Think like stewards, not owners. All right, say that to the person next to you. Think like stewards, not owners. So it's interesting, all throughout the scripture, this is a concept that just, there's so many different things. As I began to look into it, there were just so many examples. I had to just choose a few. But starting right off in Genesis 2, God gives Adam and Eve a stewardship of the garden. He says, uh, you can eat from every tree except for one. And exercising faithful stewardship meant leave that one tree alone. You, you can take the fruit of any tree, but this one particular tree, don't consume anything off of it. Leave that tree to produce fruit and let God decide what happens to that tree. Even in the very beginning, God is teaching Adam and Eve that they are not owners of the garden, they are simply stewards of the garden. They are, they are supposed to take care of what God has given them. So when they chose to eat the fruit of that tree, they began to act like owners instead of stewards. And it obscured their view of God. They began to believe that they were in charge and that they could decide what happened to all of the fruit. That if they didn't make sure that the fruit was, was uh, growing, that it would be a problem. They began to take responsibility for the actual things that were happening in the garden instead of just saying, God, we are stewards of what you're giving us. You are the ultimate owner. And, and even this is an introduction 
to this principle of the tithe. That God gives us stuff and God gives us resources and God says to steward it responsibly. And if it all belongs to him and he richly gives us these things to enjoy, the tithe is this moment where we remember that we are not owners of these things. The first fruit, the first 10%, comes out so that we remember that this isn't all our stuff. This isn't all our resources. We are simply stewards of the things that we have. And so there are two different ways that we can look at our resources. And and this is just such a huge mind shift. We can ask ourselves these two questions. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or how much of God's money should I use for myself? The tithe is the thing that changes those questions, that allows us to to begin to think through as stewards and not owners. Uh, In fact, in Genesis 14, 18 through 20, Abraham was with um, Melchizedek, who was the priest of the God Most High, and, and some theologians actually think that that priest was actually a type of Christ, which means a symbol or a foreshadowing of Jesus. And so as we watch these interactions between Abraham and Melchizedek, it's as if God is saying, this is, this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes. This is, this is what I want you to, to respond and react to the most holy God. And it's interesting because when Abraham was with him, he gave him a tenth of everything he had. So almost 430 years before the law was written in the Old Testament about tithing, Abraham was doing it in practice. This is not something that the church leaders made up. This is something that happened in the scripture from the very beginning of time that God is saying, this is how you will remember that you are a steward, not an owner. It was interesting, the word tithe in the Bible literally literally means tenth or a tenth part. And ten, the number ten, represents testing throughout the scripture. So I'm going to give you a little test today, okay, are you ready? In Egypt, there were plagues that harassed Pharaoh. How many plagues were there? Ten. Pharaoh's heart was tested ten times. How many commandments are there? Our obedience to these commandments, that's, that's what puts us to the test. That's why there are ten commandments. In Daniel 1, uh, the king tested him and his servants and, and had him, uh, he, they were fasting and they were praying. How many days was that happening? If you don't know, just say the same answer. All right, good, good. See, all right. I'm making it easy for you. Ten. Let me tell you a couple other ones. God tested Israel ten times in the wilderness. God tested Jacob's heart ten times when he was working for Laban. There were ten virgins in the New Testament who took oil uh, in their lamps looking for the bridegroom. Some of them passed that test. Some of them didn't. But that number ten over and over and over in the scripture represents this testing, this tithe. And what it it is congruent with is that the tithe ultimately tests the heart of the believer. The tithe ultimately tests the heart of the believer. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve the spirit of mammon. And that the test that shows who you serve is the tithe. Many of you have heard this concept before and, and you've been a believer in Jesus and you've been coming to church for several years And God prompted me uh, this morning not to ask you uh, if you knew the concept of tithe. Because I think it's sort of a minimal concept. Probably it's one of the first things you learn 
uh, maybe when you become a believer in Jesus. And he didn't ask me just to teach you what the tithe is, because I, I want you to understand that too, where it comes from the scripture. But he wanted me to challenge you with this question. And I said, really, God? <laughs> and he said, yes. <laughs> Are you putting into practice the testing of what master you serve? Are you passing the test? Are you tithing? Are you taking 10% of what God has given you and giving it back to him, showing that you are not an owner, you are a steward? Now, tithing isn't specifically commanded in the New Testament. In fact, some people try to get God on a technicality. That's always my favorite, as if like the God of the universe could be manipulated or outsmarted. Well, you didn't actually say that, I mean, technically, so I don't have to do it. I imagine God laughs at us a little bit when we try to outsmart him. But I want to address that because some people say, well, if it's not in the New Testament, then maybe it's not a, a, a law or something that we need to ab- adhere to now. But I believe that Jesus didn't command the tithes in the New Testament on purpose. And I think he was making a point. But the point was not that tithing wasn't important. I think that we have translated that incorrectly. The point that he was making was, in fact, quite the opposite. And I want to unpack that for just a minute with you this morning. That he purposely didn't command it because he wanted to emphasize willingness rather than constraint. He wanted to emphasize willingness rather than constraint. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we give cheerfully, when we give not out of command or rule, our hearts are positioned in the right place. Our, our hearts are positioned that we aren't holding the coin so close to our face that we can't see God's motive behind it. And, and so money, when it's positioned in the right place, we can give it cheerfully because it's all God's. How can we give cheerfully if it's a mandated constraint? If it's this rule we have to follow, then our heart isn't in it, and God doesn't want it anyway. And so what God is saying here is that I'm not going to make it a rule because I want you to give out of cheerfulness, out of willingness, out of this concept and idea that that you are a steward, not an owner. I believe he also wanted to give, he, he didn't put the tithe in the New Testament specifically because he wanted us to understand giving liberally. I think he wanted us to not limit our giving percentage. So the idea was not so that we would have to do 10%, but that God was saying, you know what? Gone is the minimum limit. Grace has paved the way for maximum liberty. That that Jesus wanted to unleash this idea that if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Don't stop at 10%. That's what he's saying. Perhaps God will ask you to tithe or give much more cheerfully. And all that we have is God's, not just a tenth. I think sometimes we kind of get in this mode where 10% of this is God's, the rest of it is mine. (laughs) That's not at all what he's saying. Giving the 10% is showing that we realize all of it is his. Giving the 10% is showing that we realize all of it is his. So since God is the owner of all we have and we are the steward, I believe what glorifies him most is loving liberally any chance we get to give. And that's why he did not command 10%, because I believe that he's asking us oftentimes to give even beyond that. But tithing is the way to test where our hearts are serving. It's interesting, um, in the scripture, 
the only area that a Christian is invited to test God is in Malachi 3.10. This has to do with tithing. And you've heard this before probably. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be room enough to store it. So here's my encouragement to you. If you are unsure about the tithing idea, take God up on his offer and test him. Just take him up on his offer. Test him. Begin to honor the Lord diligently and just see what happens. I want to invite my friend DJ up here today. Would you give her a round of applause? It's always a little stressful coming up to the stage, the, the sanctuary. Uh, Michael, would you hand me that microphone? Thank you. Now, DJ um, has just, we've been friends for a long time, and she was um, telling me just the other day about a time, or two times really, that uh, she had this kind of wrestling with tithing, and she kind of put God to the test, right? And tell us what happened. The first time is when my husband and I first got married. Um, we went through a period where we were unemployed. And we were living off an unemployment, and we didn't have a lot of money coming in. So any unexpected bill was, like, huge. And it was the end of school year, and we got this bill. And I looked at this bill, and I was like, I can't pay this. And I was angry. I'm not going to lie. I was like thinking of the money I gave for tithing, and I was like, it's not fair. <laughs> like, I gave that money, and I don't have this money for this, and I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, and what am I going to do? And when we were employed earlier in the year in September, I have two sons that are special needs, and they go to a lot of field trips on their school. And the school asked us up front to put money out for the field trips for the year. And we ended up getting a refund check at the end of the year that was enough money to cover the bill that we had. Mm -hmm. And it was out of the blue. We weren't expecting that money back at all. It just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of happened. Yeah. God right. just made it <laughs> fall into our laps when we needed it the most. That's right. <laughs> and then this last year we bought a house and it's our first big purchase. You buy a house, it's stressful. And we kept on our budget that we were still gonna tithe, and we've been tithing, and we decided to do a balanced billing for our electric bill. And I never looked at the bottom of the bill, you know, when it's supposed to go positive and then go negative the more you use your electric. I never really kept track of that. <laughs> and um, in January, we got a huge end-of-the-year bill for what we had consumed, and we didn't have the money for it. And it was a Monday I got the bill, and my husband was like, we're just going to pray. It will be okay. And I was like... I don't know if it will be okay. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I have to call my mom and ask for money, and I don't know what we're going to do. And on uh, Friday, we got a letter from our mortgage company saying that um, we had an overpayment in our escrow account, and it was $2 short of our exact bill for our electric bill. And I remember just looking at it going, thank you, God, and almost crying on my floor of my living room, just going, I don't know how this happened, but it God had me in his hand the whole time and knew I was going to be okay. Thank you, DJ. Thanks for sharing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house or electric. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be not, there will not be room enough to store it. 
God is faithful. And as he watches us just listen and, and act like stewards and not owners, and our wealth is positioned in the right place, you can test him on that, and he will always show up. The second thing I want to talk about um, positioning our wealth in the right place is to serve God, not mammon. Now, I was looking into that this week because I'll be honest with you, uh, when I first started to study the scripture, I think we often, in our mind's eye, we, uh, Matthew 6 reads a little different. It reads that no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That, that's typically how we remember it's being said. But it doesn't say that. It actually says mammon. So what is that? What is mammon? Well, it's an Aramaic word that essentially means riches, okay? And the spirit of mammon wants us to believe that we don't need God, that we are self-sufficient, that we can work things out in or as long as we have enough resources to do so. And so as long as we earn enough money to cover the things we need or cover the things we want, we'll be okay. God, thanks for, you know, your help, but we got it covered, that spirit of mammon is basically saying that the riches will be able to sustain us, that we don't need God. And I just want to look with our spiritual eyes, my friend Ruth says, my, our kingdom glasses on this, that all money has a spirit on it. All money has a spirit on it. Uh, I, I was reading a little bit about money this week, and um, the amount of germs on that, I, I snatch it from my children now. They're not allowed to touch anything. They talk about this ridiculous amount of germs. I'm pretty sure that's how the flu is being spread all across the nation. Um, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about spiritual. All money has a spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God on it or the spirit of mammon. It has the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. And money that is not submitted to God has the spirit of mammon on it by default. So think about it this way. That's why so many people so often try to use money to control or manipulate others. That, that's why people think money can bring them happiness or money can bring them fulfillment because mammon is basically the spirit of the world and that spirit is a liar. And so having money and using money to manipulate people is using lying and, and, and telling people that we have control more than we do. Many people are disillusioned about what money can provide because there's a spirit attached to it that lies to you. It, it lies to you that when you have enough money, you'll be happy. That, that when you, you have enough money, people will like you. That when you have enough money, you can go and do what you want and live how you want to live. Money and mammon are not synonymous. I want to be really specific about that. Money is not inherently evil. In fact, one of the most frequently misquoted verses in the Bible is 1 Timothy 6.10 that says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of the money, the spirit of mammon attached to the money is the evil part. Money can be redeemed and used for God's purposes by his spirit. I really believe that. God can use that. But it's the spirit of mammon that's attached to it that wants to guide our decisions, that wants to make us fearful to not do what God's calling us to do because we're not sure if the money will work out. Literally limiting us with the spirit of fear that, that we can't possibly go on that mission trip because there's no way that we're going to get that funding or we can't live out that God dream or we can't give to that family in need because we're not sure if God will take care of us first. All of those things, they're attached to this idea that if we 
just keep ourselves in check. Like if we just have enough, we'll be okay. And the spirit of mammon can even get religious on us. Uh, Sometimes it says, if you just had more money, you could really start helping people. So then for like a period of time, you just try to get more money. Just get more because I'm going to help people with it. I'm just going to get more because I'm going to help people with it. And then all of a sudden, you have more and you're not giving. And you don't even know what happened. But your motive was to try to get more to give. But that isn't what happened. Because the spirit of mammon began to, to lie to you that you needed it and that God couldn't provide for you if you didn't have it. You know, God never said money was the answer to helping people. People don't need money. People need God. People need God to help them. I think it's no coincidence in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist um, attempts to dominate people through the use of economics. You've heard of sort of some of the uh, theories on how that will happen. But we know from the scripture uh, that the Antichrist will prevent people from buying or selling unless they submit to him. And, And I believe in this way, the brief rule of the Antichrist will be through the spirit of mammon. It'll be through this idea that if we don't have enough, if we don't have the finances enough, that God can't take care of us, and we will be afraid to just trust God and serve God in the end, in the, in the last days. And so that's why Matthew 6 is so important, that we must reject the Spirit and choose who we will serve. And the Scripture is so clear that we just cannot serve both. And so when you reject the Spirit of mammon, you do that when you tithe. Because you're saying, I'm going to give radically. I, I, I am going to make sure that I, myself knows that all of this stuff isn't mine. I'm going to give radically. I know that God is the one who's going to provide for me. And by repenting when you limit God or God's work in your life because of money, when that first thing comes into your mind, maybe God's prompting you to give something or go somewhere, and that first pop in your mind is, I can't afford it. I want you to stop right there and just repent in that moment. God, I want to serve you. Now, that doesn't mean God's always going to say, yeah, you should, you should just leap and go. And, and, you know, he's going to give you specific direction. But often, I think we limit ourselves every single time. We, we never do what God's asking us to do or give what God's asking us to give because we just continually say, well, we just don't have it. So if God is saying that money isn't inherently evil, how do we make sure that the spirit of God and not the spirit of mammon is on that money? How do we use money for eternity purposes? Well, the scripture says that the only lasting thing we will encounter in the world are human souls. The only lasting thing. Everything else will pass away. Every every single thing else. That the human soul is eternal and everything else will come to an end at some point. So where do you think we should invest money for eternity's purpose? In souls. That is the thing that, that will last into eternity. Matthew 6 reminds us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven Where mouths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It is saying there is nothing that is going to stay except for eternity and the souls of human beings. And so that is where we should give. And so when you give resources you have to bring people to Christ while you are on earth, then you are investing into the eternal. 
Now, God uses money to feed people. God uses money to clothe people. And by feeding and clothing people, it gives us an opportunity to share with them the gospel and the message of of the human soul. He uses us to facilitate the spread of the gospel to unreached parts of the earth. He uses money to help people understand his love and to hear the scripture. He uses money to send people. He uses money to build things that help draw people to them. God uses all of that. The, The idea is that what we're doing is always centered at the end of the day around reaching and and showing a human soul the hope of Jesus Christ. And this is why I so believe, even this week has not been the easiest week for me. And I believe that it is because that this message is so important that if the enemy can corrupt and distort our thoughts about money, if, if he can begin to show us that, that our temporary money even just doesn't mean anything or, or cannot affect eternity, the enemy does not want souls to go to heaven, right? Can we all agree on that? And so whatever he can do to get in the way of that happening. And so spirit-led giving always advances God's purposes, so the enemy will always try to confuse us and manipulate us and try to convince us that that is not the right thing to do or we can't afford it or there isn't a way that we can invest. So here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway to share and repeat and remember this week. It's not about how much you give. It's about how you give it. It's not about how much you give. It's about how you give it. And the idea that we are stewards and not owners, and we hold all of this with an open hand, in this constant check in our spirit that, that we need to serve and honor God, that, that no one can take care of us better than him, that we aren't storing it up for a rainy day in case God doesn't show himself faithful. Those are the things we need to get rid of our life. And God will, I think, individualize his plan for each of us. He'll he'll individualize, he'll give us each our own little IEP about this, okay? Because we all come from different corners. We all come from different understanding of of money. We we maybe have different uh, paths in growing up. We're stewarding different amounts. But if you listen to God and you say, God, how can I make sure that I'm only serving you and not the spirit of mammon? He will show you. And it could be giving a lot, it could be giving a little. But the idea that we honor him and we do what he says is the thing that, that will break that stronghold. So this is why I brought a peanut. I know some of you are wondering. I read a story this week about a student in a Bible school in Costa Rica. And he had no money, but he worked in the fields of a peanut farmer to pay his tuition. And so he went to the farmer, and he said, I'm wondering if you would withhold my wages uh, the price of one peanut so that I can have it to go give someone at school to bless them. And, you know, I think it's interesting because these are pretty small. He could have probably just stuck it in his pocket and took it to school. But he said, would you hold within my wages for one peanut? So at the end of the week, the peanut farmer gave him one peanut to take to school. And he gave it to a a different student each week. And so, not surprisingly, God began to bless this man, because he had an unselfish and liberal heart. And before long, he wasn't giving peanuts on Friday. He was giving some money. He was was helping some of the students in his class with with the, the financial needs they had. And by the end of the semester, he was buying pencils and school supplies for the poorest students so that they could have what they need. And then by the end of the year, 
God had blessed him so much that he was able to pay a year's tuition for another student. And by the time that he had graduated, he was paying the tuition of 10 other students and himself. And within a few years from graduating from Bible school, he bought the peanut farm. (laughs) And he bought it and he used it to cover the cost of tuition for scores of students who otherwise would not have been able to afford to go. Now I know that that's not every story all the time. But here's the concept. God did a work in his heart and he, he gave when all he could give was a peanut. And the issue is not the amount we give. God isn't keeping score. The issue is the motive behind our giving. Because it's not about how much you give, it's how you give it. So we're about to pray, and our service hosts are going to come down, and um, they're going to take our offering today. And today, I just want to encourage you to give cheerfully, to give out of the truth that we're stewards, we're not owners, to give so you can pass the test, that you can break the mammon in your own life. I want to tell you that the kids are collecting an offering um, for other kids in Haiti this month of February. Uh, Bill and Diana Kovach are members of our church, and they are actually right now, as we speak, they're in Haiti, and they are um, helping feed children uh, in, a, in a village, rice and beans. And the kids are raising money so that they can begin to understand that even if you have a peanut, or their parents' peanut probably, but that's okay, that if you give it, it's not in how much you give, it's how you give. And if you are, feel led or compelled to contribute to that and you weren't able to give your kids um, anything or you don't have kids, any of your first kids, then just go ahead and mark your envelope uh, on the line Kingdom Builders or Haiti and we'll make sure that it gets to that particular need. But I'm going to pray today. And so the ushers, uh, you guys can come on down. I'll pray and then you can collect in just a moment. Would you just pray with me? Father God, it is not always an easy thing to talk about God, because I believe the enemy wants us to feel defensive and condemned and, and, and uh, when people talk about it, that, that that person is prideful or greedy. But God, I just believe that we read straight from the scripture today and God, everything that you said, we want to do. And so God, with open hands, we stand before you and say, Lord, we want to pass the test. We want to pass the test because it's all yours, not just the 10th. It's all yours. God, we are stewards. We are not owners. And Lord, as we do that, we're going to watch, as, as what DJ shared this morning, we're going to watch you provide, we're going to watch you make a way in ways that we can't figure out on our own. God, we are trusting you. We love you. We want to serve the Spirit of God. We want our resources to be used to win souls to the kingdom, the very only thing that's eternal. And so, God, we trust you for that. And I pray for each person today as they give, Lord, that they would give cheerfully, not under any compulsion, And God, that they would hear straight from you and they would be obedient to that. And even this week, they would watch as your blessings unfold because your scripture and your word is true and right. And it's in your name we pray, amen.